You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. and welcome to the seventh episode of the Corporate Quitter podcast. I'm joined today by Teresa Bedford, who is the founder of the blog and the game investing. And she helps readers with money management, understanding the stock market and how to develop a financial strategy to help readers like you get on track for retirement. So Teresa, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited for people to, to dive into this. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and be talking about something that I'm so passionate about. I have been looking for the past couple of weeks for someone to really get clear on this because even for myself, like I'm 27, I'll be 28 in about a month. And I still find the entire world of investments and like money management somewhat daunting. Like I even worked at a hedge fund and like that was really great to get into that environment to learn about all this. But even for someone who just got out of college, like how do you even begin with budgeting? Like no idea. So if you, how do you touch on that? Absolutely. You know, and it really should start when we're kids. You know, I would love to see us talking to high school students about it and then taking it into college. And that's where we're missing things at is that we don't have these conversations like we're having right now. And it begins with our mindset. It just begins with having a goal, setting smart objectives to reach that goal and working towards it. A lot of it is gonna be focused on learning because we're not learning those things in school. But I think you're taking the first step, which is reaching out to people like me, Googling, maybe taking some courses, just learning. As far as the budgets go, anything that you can do to identify how many or how much you have in expenses and how much you have coming in, that is where you start. Because if you find that you have less coming in than you have in going out, you're never going to get anywhere. You're always going to feel broke. You're never going to be able to reach that plan. So I always tell everybody, figure out how much you have coming in, how much you have coming out. And then from there, you need to be paying yourself first. Determine, okay, if I want to retire by the age of 40, I'm going to need X amount of dollars. And I do have some calculators on my blog that you can take a look at to to help you determine how much do I have to invest every month if X is going to be my goal. But once you you have how much ever is left from your income with how much is going out in your expenses, well, from there, you can determine, okay, I'm going to save X amount and then I can spend X amount. And that's all you have to do. You don't have to keep track of everything. You know, these are your expenses. They have to be paid. This is how much you want to invest in yourself. And this is how much you have left. So whatever's left for your spending money, that's it. If you don't have $50 to go out to eat that fourth week in the month, because you didn't have it in your budget, you're done. Oh, but what if I really want to go to brunch? (laughs) You wait till the following month. It's really that simple. And it really gives you power over your money because you're telling your money where to go. And when you tell yourself, because believe me, I've had it. And all my friends know this too. And the last year, I've really started talking a lot about money with my friends. 
And I started budgeting in January of last year, right before everything happened with COVID. And I had months, by the end of the month, it was like, nope, I'm not going to happy hour. You know, it's the 28th of the month. My budget doesn't reset until the first and I've spent all of my money. Do you find that you, like the beginning was painful and now it's much better or do you still have like painful moments where like, oh, I really want that, but like, I don't think I could swing it right now. Um, For me, I would say it is still painful, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I was getting into vlogging is because I'm not quite of the mindset that we need to save more. I'm more of the mindset that we need to have a plan and whatever you can do to reach that plan is what you need to do for you. And so for me, being 40 years old, I have a certain lifestyle that I'm accustomed to, but yet I'm getting closer to where I need to be retiring. And so I have to be putting so much money away. And I have moments where I'm like, I really want to buy a new iPad, but I'm literally putting a little bit away every month and in six months, I'll be able to get my iPad. That's awesome. (laughs) It is really nice too, when you're able to buy something in full because you like work to save towards actually getting it versus like a credit card, which is like an immediate, you get the immediate satisfaction when you swipe it. But then like tomorrow you're going to be sweating bullets because you're like, oh my God, I have $1,500 on a credit card because I like had to have this thing now. Absolutely. It's, it's painful when you buy something that you really couldn't, couldn't afford. You enjoy it literally for that second. And then you spend the next 12 months worried about how you're going to pay it off and how you're going to get out of the hole that you built to buy that one thing. Because now that you have that one thing, you want something else. Yeah. And so you never can break that cycle. It really is developing a new mindset where you identify what those expenses are that you have, but you figure out how you're going to pay yourself first as well. So with talking about, again, like putting yourself in a hole, which I think everybody has it done at once in their life or, you know, might be experiencing now. How do you even approach that conversation with someone who is like fresh out of college? Like I went to school, didn't know what I was signing up for. And then when I got out, I was like, oh my God, like I have $40,000 in debt, which isn't a lot comparatively to some people that I know who like went to law school and they're in like $300,000 worth of debt, like 40,000 seems like a breeze comparatively, but still like how that's like, that was like my starting salary at my first corporate job. Like how, how does someone even approach that conversation? And also like, what was your own experience of like college and then leaving college and now getting to a more financial place? Sure. I would kind of say that my money story began back in 2009, right after we had the financial crash. I had maybe $30,000 in debt. I don't quite remember. And I owned a couple of properties, which I was paying on. I've never personally had to file bankruptcy or foreclose on property, but I took the Dave Ramsey class. And I would say the first step that made me aware of what do I need to do to fix this was to write everything down, you know, actually seeing what you have going on and writing it down makes a huge difference because I promise no matter how big it is, if you just take that step to write it down and start working on one piece, eventually you come to the end. 
Yeah. It's like magic. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I had a similar story too, where, right. It seems, well, I mean, for me, I, it was terrifying until I started writing it down. And like you had said before, like, you don't need to track every single thing, but like I did that, like I literally had an, ex, an Excel spreadsheet that like every time I like use paid for anything, I like wrote it down, whether it was like 99 cents or like grocery, like everything was in this Excel spreadsheet. And I always knew what was coming in and coming out. And it was like pretty and it was color coordinated. And like, I realized it was kind of useless because it wasn't changing my habits. It was just reminding me of my, poor, like my terrible spending. But after like a year of doing that and then pivoting, like I was able to like create an automated budget and then pay off my loans in like less than a year, which is incredible. That is incredible. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. And it all starts with writing it down and taking yep. a look at it Yep. and coming up with a plan. And as long as you stick to whatever you said your plan is going to be, you will see the end of it. Yeah. It just doesn't always take in form the way that you thought it would or be as quickly as you thought it would. <laughs> Correct. So when, so you're saying you started your like investing or financial journey in, in around the crash, like, did you already have stock? Like, how did you even like, like what happened? Did you, did you make it over the hump of the crash? Like, did you pivot? And then how is it comparatively to now? For me? I didn't quite experience the crash. I'm a nurse. And so I think there's always going to be a job for us. We, we get paid pretty well, but I will say taking that course and getting what I don't consider to be the best advice. Now there are good points to that course, but there were things that I wish I had done differently, like educate myself on multiple ways of doing something. So even though we're talking today and I'm giving you my story and letting you know what I think works, you got to get out there and listen to, you know, at least three or four different ways of doing something to really decide what's going to work best for your life. And so part of that course was investing in mutual funds. And he recommended that you hire, I don't want to say the word hire, but you find a financial advisor or a stockbroker mm -hmm. who does everything for you. And so I just thought this is this authoritative figure telling me <laughs> to go and find this person. And I can remember being so proud of me. You know, I went on online because I think the internet was still pretty new back then. <laughs> I identified somebody to get me on the right track. It wasn't really until last year when I was out with my girlfriends and they're like buying stock on their phone. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're just making some trades. And I'm like, really? <laughs> um, because I never knew. I thought I was fancy pants having somebody help me with all these things and investing in these mutual funds. And it turns out, I was losing a ton of money through fees. Really? My, yes. My rate of increase over the years was like six and a half, seven percent, something obscene because of the fees. And also mutual funds tend to have like anywhere from 50 to 200 different companies in them because they want it to be diversified. So you don't have to worry as much about it going to zero. Mm -hmm. And they're also trying to beat the market, which the market is the top companies. So trying to beat what we already know is the top companies and mixing things up really doesn't 
doesn't spell for something good to happen. And so I lost a lot of money, but what happened was it taught me, I need to learn what are the options out there for yeah. investing. Yeah. And what is, what is going to be my goal and how much do I need to be investing in order to reach that goal? So, you know, I started learning about that. And that's one reason why I'm blogging now to tell everybody else, you can do this without a financial advisor, but you've got to take the time to learn about it. Totally. And that's something that I myself am still trying to figure out. Like I thought the same exact thing, right? I need to get like a Vanguard or like uh, one of those accounts, you know, with Charles Schwab in order to even have a portfolio and then realize like there are awesome apps like Robinhood or Acorns or things of that nature that you can use like Stash even to Mm -hmm. to purchase stocks and things like that. But I want to kind of bring it back a little bit. So can you explain to the listeners who have like literally like they're just starting their financial journey, what is a mutual fund? A mutual fund is basically a bunch of analysts who kind of get together for a company and they pick what they think are going to be the best stocks and they put them into what's called a portfolio. It can be based upon a particular sector or particular sizes of company, but because it has these analysts who are literally moving this money around in this account and the number of shares, that's why the fees are so high Mm -hmm. versus if you look at a fund that tracks the market, like the S and P 500 automatic, you know, um, so the fees are much lower, even though the S and P is still tracking some of the top companies. Okay. So like for someone who is really interested in like pharmaceutical companies, right. With everything happening in COVID, the vaccines, people want to jump on it. So Again, just I know we're not going to go with like maybe in this regard, not go with the um, the brokerage account, but like for for mutual funds, like do you ha- can you access a mutual fund like a pharmaceutical mutual fund through an app, or do you have to use it through a brokerage? Like if if I wanted to go on Robinhood and find that, could I do that? You might be able to go on Robinhood and find it. I don't know too much about Robinhood. What do you use? I really like TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab because there's no fees. That's the other thing. Mutual funds just eat up your fees. I try to stay away from them. I love ETFs, which are tracking particular sectors in the market. They're much lower fees and you can trade them for free on TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab. Hmm, I didn't even know that. And so like for someone who's just starting do you have any recommended sources on like how to find out definitions or like what the options are? Cause even like we're saying like right mutual fund, like what does that mean? What does that entail? Like what is a stock? What does that mean? What does that entail? Like some people, like, again, even for myself trying to learn all the basics, do you have anywhere that you particularly like to find your investing information from other than your website? <laughs> <laughs> I really like Investopedia. Okay. Oh yeah. I know them. Yeah. Yes. And I like reading articles from Yahoo finance and Mm -hmm. market watch. And I look up words that I don't know. And I go on TD Ameritrade and I look at businesses, you know, and one of my favorite is Apple. And I will look to see what does it tell me about Apple? What are some of those numbers that the company's reporting 
so that I can learn, is it good or is it not for myself? TD Ameritrade has amazing courses. Even if you just sign up for a free account and I'm not getting anything from TD Ameritrade, you can access their free courses. Like they really? have a beginner stock course, they huh. have options and a lot of stock courses. Yeah. And you can learn everything from literally what is a stock. <laughs> yeah. That's, that'd be great to know. And there's another one. My very first one that I took was by a guy, Phil Town. <laughs> so Phil Town, I would definitely recommend to anybody. He has like a five-step course and he teaches you how do you find the best companies? And a lot of what he bases it on is Warren Buffett type of investing, which really looks at buying amazing companies that you're probably already using and trying to get them at the best price. As for me, I'm not really big into timing the market and buying things necessarily for the best price. I buy companies that I like that mm -hmm. I know are going to be here in 10, 15, 20 years. And I just make sure that when I'm buying them, that I know they're doing well. So I make sure that their earnings look good, that their balance sheets are low in debt. Can and you explain what a balance sheet is? Yes. The balance sheet basically tells you how much they're making mm -hmm. versus how much they're putting out. So it kind of refers to their cash flow. Mm -hmm. um, a company that's you know, making 25 million doesn't matter much if they're spending 32 million to get there. Yeah. So every year they're going to be going a little bit more in the hole. So something has to be changing. Okay. So you usually look for on a balance sheet more profit than they spend. I mean, maybe that's a given, but again, for someone who's new and they're curious, like that's a good takeaway, right? Um, yes, absolutely. So they need to be a profitable company. That's always nice. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first thing I look at is, is it something that I use? If it's hmm. a company that's not producing something that I would personally use, I'm less likely to want to even look at it. Because the first step is you need to understand if you're going to invest in a particular company, one company rather than an ETF you need to understand what that company does and who they are. And I really look to see, are they doing something innovative? You know, think about Google, you know, they started as a search engine and now they have YouTube TV, which is like cable, mm -hmm. you know, but it all sort of goes back to still, you know, social media, learning, watching, being um, connected to the world. You know, so how innovative is that? You know, yeah. it's amazing. So when you're buying companies, you want to make sure that number one, you understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And number two, they're being innovative because sometimes a company's balance sheet may not look really good, but it's because they're reinvesting a lot of money. So if you're buying individual stocks, it's super important to, to do your homework way before you start investing. And that just reminds me of, you know, when I first started with my friends last year, literally we were at happy hour <laughs> and drinking and I bought one of the marijuana stocks and I'm not going to tell you which one I bought, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but I bought one of the marijuana stocks and my friends are like, oh, you're in the game, you know, you're doing it now. <laughs> so excited for me buying my own shares. Well, it was like, like two weeks later, if that, that the stock market crash started and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> I'm like losing all my money. And I bought a couple of other companies just because I like them. Mm-hmm. One of which was Under Armour, just because I liked Under Armour. I just wanted to have it. <laughs> and I was just watching them every day going down and down and down. But then something happened where I wasn't scared, like in the 2008 crash that I'm going to lose everything. Instead, I wanted to know how did I pick such a bad time to start investing (laughs) companies? Like what happened here? And so even to this day, I literally look forward to red days because I buy companies that I really love. And it's just an opportunity for me to add to those positions because I know that that stock is going to come up, whether it's in a month, a year, five years, I hold for the long term and they always come up. So just to clarify, when you mean red days, you mean when on the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or one of those, they're basically in decline, like they're losing money versus going up? Yes. Okay. Just want to clarify for everyone listening. So I wanted to touch on, you know, you had said that you weren't afraid that it was going down because you were planning for a long-term haul versus a short-term gain. What was the, or do you have a strategy on how to manage your emotions so that you don't drive yourself into a hole, right? Because everything that we do, the transactions we make, the credit card swipes, the investing decisions, like they're almost always emotionally driven, right? That's the whole reason we're even getting into investing is because we emotionally, like we want to be in a place where we're stable or we want to be like, who doesn't want to be a millionaire? Everyone wants to be a millionaire. So like, how do you manage your emotions both in the way of like honoring the excitement, but also like not sweating it when things get a little tight and crazy? Um, I think it comes down to your mindset, you know, and how you see the world and what lens you are going to wear when you're investing. You know, if you're somebody that's looking to make a quick dollar, and you don't ever want to put another dollar into this, to your investments, you're probably going to cry every time you see it go down. <laughs> but I have no problem because I know that my companies are going to go back up. And normally they go back up within a couple of weeks. I've never seen anybody stay down for very long. Even yeah. after that huge crash that we had last year, I think most of it was done about three months later. And I'm the one that's crying. I'm like, oh, please don't go up too fast. I want to put more money in. (laughs) So like, I I just tell myself that I know it's going to go up. So I don't worry. Now, what about for companies that are like new, right? They're not a Google, they're not an Apple or anything like that. Like a lot of my friends are trying to find, right, the penny stock or not even the penny stock, but like the two, three, four dollars stock. That's like a new and upcoming, like, biotech company or something like that and they're doing a ton of research like a how do you even approach that b like what have you done anything like that and if so what's a strategy you use i don't really look at companies that are too new it's just my personal preference i like established companies because i think we can still do really well with companies that are established and growing as far as new companies I don't really have a 
that's okay. Strategy at looking at them. I, I will just say this though, you know, I will say this just because a stock is inexpensive, cheap to buy a couple of dollars, doesn't mean that it's an actually cheap stock because their price to earnings ratio, that's how much money it costs to buy it, the price to how much that company is making can be out of this world. And so it makes it a very expensive stock, even though you only had to pay $2 a share. And so I think it does come back to looking at all of those ratios with these companies, that fundamental analysis. I think it's just the away from IPOs too. You know, oh, really? Really? Yes. They, they tend to drop, like they go in and they go skyrocket. And then there's like this 30% pullback on it. Can you explain like what IPOs are? Just for, again, for people who are listening, like I know what an IPO is, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if a 24 year old might know what it is. Um, Sure. So it's a company that was private and they want to become public in order to raise money. And usually they want to raise money so they can reinvest in the company and continue to grow. But people get really excited about them because they (laughs) have the opportunity to invest in this company. And sometimes you know these companies, you know. Like Uber. People were freaking out about Uber and then like, I don't think they're doing that well. (laughs) Generally speaking, like they're not making that much money. Exactly. Like it came out and it was up like 30% and then it comes back down. It's just not for me. And if it were, I think I would have to do an evaluation of where was it before they came in? You know, what is their market cap? Like what type of business is this? Is it a small business or a big business? Market cap will tell you like Amazon is like 2 trillion market cap. That's how much they're worth. And their stock is only like a hundred and $125 or somewhere in that ballpark. Is it really? I don't know why I thought it was so much more expensive. They had a split several months ago. And so oh. it was huh. like closer, I think, to 400 And then it split. But it's $2 trillion company. Yeah, you know? exactly. They're not going anywhere. You have other companies where the stock is like $500 for one share, but the market cap might only be $20 million. You know, it's a very small company, but it's expensive to buy that one share. Do you need a ton of money to start investing? Like, do I need like two, ten thousand dollars to start? Absolutely not. I say you can literally start nowadays with five dollars and you can buy any company you want with that five dollars through Robinhood or Charles Schwab, who has fractional shares. Um, Meaning it's like not a full stock, but it's like part of a stock. Correct. Okay. Yes. With $5 and you can start to be part owner of literally any company that you want to out there. But better than that, you can be investing your spare change with acorns. I love acorns. You know, I don't notice when the $5 comes out of my checking account, but it's really cool to see it. And acorns for me was up like 20 something percent this year. That's so awesome. It's just your change. I know. I um my brother, he got me into it and 
I, it ended up not working out for me just because at the time I was using like a really complex budget. So I didn't use it at the time, but now I'm starting to use it and I haven't checked it in like weeks. And I went in today and like, I have like $50 in there, which like doesn't seem like a lot, but again, like that's all from like roundups, meaning like I spent a dollar 25 and 75 cents is going towards it. So it's, it's wild to see that. And it's all going into like dividends, stocks, like it's just mm-hmm. a variety of things. And like, I don't even have to do anything, which is even better. I just like leave my money there and it like works for me. And you really won't notice it, you know, if you don't pay too much attention to, and you can actually put acorns down as part of your budget in your savings section. You can write down that, you know, that you're probably going to have $20 worth of change for that month and then go from there. But I, I personally love it. I think it's the best thing out there. And I think Parents should be mandatory to get their kids set up with some type of acorn account or some kind of small account. Definitely. Um, for their kids. Yeah. I wish I learned a lot of this stuff pre-adulthood or like in college, but instead I'm learning it like closer to 30. I mean, right. That's when like when you're in your like close to your thirties or if you're in your thirties, you're like actually making money versus in your twenties when you're like just trying to figure it out, but still like having a solid foundation of even how these things work, I think, or it's detrimental to people having financial success. Yeah. And, you know, we were probably close to when I was really starting and I, you know, my mistake now was I only listened to one person tell me where to put my money and how to invest it. And because of that, I'm behind the curve, you know, whereas I could have been doing just fine if I had been investing in the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is one of my favorites. (laughs) So I want to touch on kind of the idea of like budgeting and also like financial habits, like could just because even from my perspective, like when I was younger, again, when I was starting to take a look at my budget and like be take it more seriously versus just spending frivolously and not really have any idea what my whole financial breakdown was. One thing that I came across like literally a couple days ago and was like, oh my God, why did I not even like think about this is like, it's, just, it was just like a quote or like a Pinterest quote, like phrase. And it basically said a really easy way to lose $10,000 every year is to spend $27 every day. And I was like, oh my God, that's like, that's like nothing, right? That's like me literally getting a coffee or a matcha latte from Starbucks for $7 and then go buying a, a salad for like another 15. And then like, there you go, there's 10 grand a year. Like what the heck? That's a drink or two drinks at a bar. Exactly. And that's why the biggest financial habit of people who are broke is they don't have budgets. Mm-hmm. No matter how much money you make, you still need a budget or you're going to really experience lifestyle inflation, which is kind of what happened to me. The more I made, the bigger house I wanted, the nicer car I wanted. And I thought that I deserved all of these things because I was working hard and making more money. But not having a budget, your money can get away with you. Imagine how much you can save just having a budget where you pay yourself first. You Mm -hmm. know how much money you have left and you make sure you pay yourself before you go out to eat, before you buy clothes this month. I can see that being really difficult, especially for younger people who are so like, what do they say? Like wide-eyed, bushy tail, like want to experience the world. Like I remember 
sounds ridiculous, but I had never had sushi until I moved to the city. So, and sushi is not the cheapest dinner option. So of course I'd have like my special roll and like, here it is, like it's supposed to be like a, a dinner or a lunch. And it's like another, like it's like a $40 bill. If I'm doing that multiple days a week, like that's not budget friendly when I'm only making $40,000 a year. Absolutely. And there's so many things that I think we can do at home that we really don't do, you know, like, like what, like having game night or everybody brings food over, but we don't necessarily have to cook because sometimes when you do cooking, um, like you get together and one person is entertaining, they can go out and spend $200 in order oh to my God, yeah. food for a group of five people. Yeah. Um, but just changing up, how do we, how do we do that? Is it a potluck or is it everybody can bring their meal, their dinner, and we can do that at home. We don't have to go out and sit there for hours where the drinks are ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, one of my things because I really enjoy happy hour and I'm like, oh, it's $5 for a glass of wine. But before you know it, it's seven o'clock and happy hour is done, mm-hmm. you know, and actually leaving when happy hour is done is, is actually a good financial habit because the longer you stay, the more likely you are to drink, the more likely you are to eat and the more you're going to spend. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to feel like crap too. Yeah. Yeah. They were totally smart when they said happy hour. It's just a way to get you in there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that you brought that up that right. Like happy hour ends at seven. And so you should almost like cap yourself. Like, but the other thing too, I think mention and, and really kind of, I don't know what the word is, but kind of just really put it out there is that these things may seem like they're not fun, but it's a short term, not fun. Like you may have to leave happy hour at seven, but guess what? Like, like two years from now, you're going to have like 30,000 in the bank and savings because like you decided to like hold back a bit and get a good night's sleep and, and your skin looks better. Let's just be honest. (laughs) So like, you're going to be like this hot, bad bitch, like in the future with like $30,000 and your friends are going to be struggling because they decided to stay out for happy hour. Like I'd rather have the money in two years than not. Exactly. That's fun. That's fun. That is fun. You know? And I think it was Dave Ramsey that said, live like no one else so that one day you can live like no one else. Yep. You know, and so you do have to sometimes be different, but I think as we start to have these conversations, you know, whether you're having it with your girlfriends or you're just having it just in general, because I feel like money has such a taboo. Nobody wants yeah. to talk about how much money they have. They don't want to talk about what types of investments they're making, but if we can change those mindsets and if everybody's doing it, I don't think it's going to be so bad. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's just, I think it's like the comparative thing. Like for a really long time, I never talked about salary with my friends until my very best girlfriend right now, her and I, we talk so openly about money and it's so awesome. Like she knows, she knew how much I was making. I know how much she's making. We would like, and it also makes life easier because I'm like, Hey, I need to like, I'm negotiating this new role. What the hell do I do? Like, this is how much I'm making now. This is how much the market rate is. And then she'll be able to give me advice of like, okay, go do research and find out what like people are actually spending on someone in this role or whatever it is. Or like, oh, you like really want to get that apartment? Like, this is what I think you should do. Like, it just brings another perspective into the money conversation that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't talked about it. Exactly. It's about lifting each other up. You know, Mm -hmm. that's why your friends, they're to support each other. 
you can't live in this world by yourself. Yeah. People around you is super important. Yeah. But then like, what happens if like, I think another reason why some people don't bring up the money conversation, especially for women is that a, they're afraid that they either don't make enough as their friends or B, they actually make more than their friends. So it's like that. How do you navigate a difficult conversation like that? Or like, do you have a strategy or, or something you can offer to, to, for that like type of scenario? I think it probably just comes with time. Mm-hmm. You know, there comes a point when you realize that no matter how much money somebody makes or what they're doing, they're just a human being at the end of the day with good days, bad days, struggles. And I think it just comes down to really having a mindset that you want to help people mm-hmm. and you you want to be involved with people to help keep that, I guess, jealousy streak in check. And I think from there, you'll see when you're interacting with people who may have more than you, you may see that, hmm, I'm not so sure I really like, you know, that person, what they're saying, you know, their, their beliefs and that type of thing, which I think can be the scarier thing. But I know for me, most of the time, it gives me something to strive for when I see people who have invested better than I have. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm like, Oh my God. Like there's, I think at the beginning, I always have like a tiny bit of resentment because I'm like, Oh, if I only knew this a year ago or like, Oh, if I only like did that thing, like, why is she farther than I am? Right. But then Mm -hmm. once you take a step back and you're like, you know what, why, instead of me being like a little bitch about it, why don't I just ask her like, how did you do that? Like, I really want to know, like, give me the details. You know, I feel like most people, if you go to them and ask them for help because they're doing something amazing, eight times out of 10, they're like, yeah, like, let's get on a phone call. Like, why don't you come over? Like, let's, let's talk about it. Exactly. And, and I think that's what it's about. It's about building relationships and talking to people. So no, I don't necessarily have any words of advice on how to overcome that. I think a lot of it just comes with time. You know, Mm -hmm. you had met me in my early twenties, I would be saying different things right now. (laughs) What would she be saying? I'll be saying, no, I want to go have fun. And, you know, I don't want to study, you know, however, I will say that I, I would have done the studying, but back in my early twenties, we really didn't have the internet like we do right now. And we didn't have people motivating us like we do right now saying, hey, get out there, have these conversations with your parents, have them with your friends. Had I had that, I think I would be a little bit different, which you guys have the internet. But if you talk to me back in my early 20s, we didn't have the internet. So I wouldn't have known. And until you see it, you don't know. Until you see the everyday millionaire, you don't know. Yeah, I see them every day on Instagram. And I believe a lot of these stories are true, but what keeps me going is I'm like, I'm not worried about it. It's going to be me one day. Mm -hmm. And I am a hundred percent certain that it's going to be me one day. So I think having that mindset, you know, is going to take you far. Yeah. But I do like, I had a guest on a couple of like weeks ago and she had made a good point of saying it's also you know, it's really great to have that mindset of like, I'm going to be abundant. Like I, you know, I'm doing all the steps to make it happen. Like it can't not happen, but you also right have to do the practical work of like, right. You need to 
work on your budget. Like you need to have a serious conversation with yourself about your money mindset and how you even view money. Is it evil? Like, do you like it? Do you, are you afraid of it? Like the right, there are all these, these things and like, what's my strategy, right? What's my goal? Because if you're like in this confusion of money, like, well, what do you even want to do with it? Why do you want it in the first place? Yes. You have to have smart goals. You can't even just have goals nowadays. They have to be smart goals. What's Um, a, what do you mean? It's a goal that is specific, measurable, attainable, relatable, and time achievable. It basically has to have all those components to it. You can't just say, oh, I want to be a millionaire. You know, it's, I want to have a million dollars in five years, you know, very specific in one account in investments in wealth. Like, where do you want to have it? You Mm -hmm. know, and then breaking that down to what do I need every month? How am I going to get to that goal every month? Yeah. I found that one of the things, well, one of the things that I discover the past couple of years as I've been exploring online business and now pursuing it full time is that when you break down the big numbers, they're actually not that scary. Like I forget what the actual math is, but I want to say if you want to, if you want to hit like I think it's a hundred thousand dollars every year. All you need to do is make like 150 bucks a day. Like it's really not that much. Like, no, but really when you think about it, right. I love it. No, but it's true. true, Right. It's so true. But when you think about a million dollars, you're like, Oh my God, I could never, I have, I would have to slave away. Like it's possible. You just got to figure out how to make it so that you can make the $150,000 per day. And like that, yes, could be in the form of investing or it could be maybe in on creating an online business, or maybe you happen to work in a job that, lens like you get paid so much on an hourly basis that you over you you achieve beyond the 150 dollars a day absolutely so my mom is um 60 getting ready to be 61 and she hasn't really planned very much for retirement and so really trying yes I mean I feel like a lot of older people like I don't know so much about my parents but they they're up there too and I feel like I talked to them like shouldn't you have like a better plan like they're like like so they they own a practice and so they want to sell the building or they're thinking they might sell the building and that's a good plan but like that was literally they just thought of that a couple weeks ago like they were <laughs> like like what the hell how do you just have a plan like that yeah but it's because they grew up in a, a generation where this we would didn't talk about this yeah and they didn't have the internet yeah you know, that's, that's what I'm true saying. even if you don't like what we're saying today you have the internet and you can just yeah. learn so much but no she didn't plan at all you know she's not going to get a big pension you know, she does own her house. So that's good, but she needs a plan. And so I started talking to her as I've learned throughout this last year. And I've literally started talking with just about everybody about money. And we started talking about doing a t-shirt business because I'm oh, like, that sounds fun. where you can have residual income without having to do anything. And she's like, Oh, I don't know. And I'm like, <laughs> think about it. If you just sell a hundred t-shirts, at $10 each, that's a thousand dollars. And you didn't yep. have to do anything, you know, like you could easily do that. And then if you have a hundred, that's 25 a week, three, maybe four a day. And you can get an extra thousand dollars just invested. You it's know? crazy. Or like what the internet, <laughs> yeah, I know internet. It's like, it's, it's so awesome. Yeah. It's don't so forget awesome. there are 7 billion people on the planet. Yeah. Right. You really only need about 
5,000 to really follow you and want to learn from you and want to invest in your products because, but there's 7 billion people out there. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. You're going to connect with people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this has been, this has been really awesome. I think like there's a ton of advice that I could have taken from you if I, when I was younger, but um, if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? Like speaking to your 20 year old self, what that, what would that be? Invest early and invest often, no matter what. No matter what? First, no matter what. Like put that before like brunch and like yep. new shoes and like all of it. Yep. Yep. Because none of those things that I, you know, spent money on, none of them are still with me right now. Ooh, you know? I like the way you phrase that. That's so true. Yeah. That's so true. And even the memories that went along with those things, nothing, nothing that couldn't have been changed, you know, it wasn't anything that I had to have, you know, and, it, and you give up your, your future for those things. And you give up a piece of your freedom because your time is really your freedom. Yep. So I would tell myself, no matter what, whatever my plan is, stick to that plan. If that means you got to get a second job because you like brunch every weekend <laughs> and you get a second job. Cause that's something I never had was a second job. <laughs> it's always good to get extra money. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I think for a lot of people who are new to budgeting and just like finances and stocks in general, this is going to be super, super helpful. So thank you so, so much for coming on. I'm excited that they get to listen to it and I'm going to re-listen to it again and like take my own notes. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. Of course. My pleasure.